Thank you for being here today. Thank you for tuning in online, if that's how you're joining us today. Excited about the text today. We're coming out of Genesis chapter 16. Looking forward to it. Hey, wasn't it good news to know that uh, our youth pastor, uh, Pastor Nate Garrett, who has gone on mission to Guyana and was able to speak, that there were some, you may have missed it because in the announcement you're kind of looking at pictures and thinking through it or not. Several prayed to receive Christ when he spoke. That's, that's a praise. And I, and I say that to say, if you come and you're participating with Peninsula Baptist Church, you're a part of a bigger picture of something more than what you see going on on the few hours you're here on Sundays. Uh, it's, it's a lot going on. And so uh, it's a good time to be a part of Peninsula. Uh, we are going to be in a few weeks kind of introducing and dropping uh, what we call a podcast uh, that, that I'm kind of talking in a lot of. But the reason I want to do it is so that you can see the bigger picture of what God's doing here because we're going to focus on God and His Word on Sunday mornings, but we don't get to tell the full picture of the testimony of what God's doing through our church. And so you'll be seeing and hearing about that coming up. I'm excited about where that'll take us as we can connect with one another uh, in such an enriching way. Well, it's been a while since I have shown a meme. And so uh, someone sent me, actually, uh, Katrina Dora, our children's director, uh, sent this to me uh, a few weeks back, you know, because of, you know, she works with children's ministry and I used to work with youth. So it was funny on that level, but it actually pertains to the message today loosely, okay? But it does pertain to it a little bit. This is what it says. Um, It says, suddenly all my friends jumped in the ocean, so I did too. I guess it was peer pressure. (laughs) See... That's just good, all right? Uh, it's just good, good, good to be a part of that. Uh, uh, my wife and I right now just entered into foster care training uh, to offer respite care uh, for those who are going through foster care training. We're holding it here at the church. Uh, there are 16 couples that are currently going through the foster care training, and uh, it's a partnership with the Baptist Children's Home. We have to do it, but we were sitting around tables, and we were discussing and they said, um, uh, name something you would call your superpower. Well, I didn't really listen into the thought process behind it and everything. I just immediately turned to my table and said, my superpower is dad jokes. And, uh, you know, I think they wanted a little bit more serious answer than that. But to me, that's serious, right? And so uh, they, they immediately said, oh, yeah, tell us one. And I said, okay. <laughs> but you opened that door. Right? And uh, we want to look for opportunities to open the door. So I immediately told them, sometimes I hold my knees really tight to my chest because, well, that's how I roll. <laughs> See, that's just good. You, you may not get it. That's why you're not laughing. But that's just good dad joke humor there And uh, as we move through that. Listen, I'm excited about uh, Genesis chapter 16 um, because some things really jumped out at me in this text uh, that had never jumped out from, from me before. And we're going to hit a few things, and I'm going to save the big uh, fun part of the text toward the end of the message uh, because I think it brings it home for us. And I think um, it's going to be really exciting for us to be able to dive into that. So let's look at Genesis 16. We're going to read through the whole chapter, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to kind of bounce back through it, and we're going to pull out some of the truths that are there. I'm going to tell you that this is an awkward text. 
because you see a man of God and his wife making a choice of unbelief and lack of faith that steps him into a direction uh, that God later uses for his plan, but it, it can be a little bit confusing. So let's just kind of go through it and let's see what God is doing with it. This is Genesis chapter 16, and it's my prayer that as I read this, that the Spirit will meet you where you are and you'll be able to receive God's Word on the level that He has for you today. Genesis 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, let's back up for just a moment and talk about the fact that in chapter 15 and even before then, uh, we saw that God was actually given a promise to Abram. And he was saying to Abram, I am going to give you descendants that will outnumber the stars, if you could count them, outnumber the dust on the ground. I'm going to give that to you. And I'm not only going to give that to you, I'm going to give you the land that's there. And it's a promise that he had given to, to Abram. Uh, but we see at this point, the very thing starts out is that at this point, they've had no children. So let's look at verse 2. It says, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant." It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The name Ishmael means God hears. Verse 12, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, for she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son from Hagar bore who? Good gracious. And Hagar bore. The reason I'm having trouble with this, I'm just going to be transparent here, is everything you read calls him Abraham. And uh, I'm thinking, we're not there yet. We can't call him Abraham yet. And I keep wanting to say Abraham um, because that's who it is. So Abram or Abraham, if I speak in and out of that, it's the same person, okay? But I'm going to try to stay Abram until God gives him the name Abraham. That's what I'm trying to do. All right, verse 15. Let's try that again. Take two. 
And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, Abraham <laughs> was now 85 years old when this all started coming to, to play, into play, and it was kind of moving fo forward in his life. And he had been walking with the Lord for about 10 years now. And he had learned some valuable lessons of what faith was, what God had done for him, and how he was uh, kind of moving him toward what God's plan was. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah um, a child, but they had not been told when that child was coming. Uh, the promise was there that a child was coming, but they had not given, been given a date or a season or anything to know when it was, was coming. And it was uh, through faith and patience where we have to inherit the promises of God. Uh, Hebrews 6.12, it says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the promises of God that come, we have to show faith and patience in them. So let that kind of be something that resonates in your mind as we begin to unfold what's happening in this text. I had to ask the question, well, God, why did you wait so long? Well, Scripture tells us God waited until Abram was as good as dead. And you say, well, that's kind of harsh to say that. I'm not using my words. I'm using the words of the Scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised, verse 12, therefore from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God wanted to demonstrate in Abram and Sarai's life that even though it doesn't seem possible, my power is going to show out. And I know that some of us in this room could be waiting on God to do something. You're waiting on God to move in a certain way. You're waiting on God to do something in your life, and you can't understand why he's waiting. But if you've had to wait a really long time for God to do something, you can almost rest assured based on Scripture text and based on a testimony from my life that if you're having to wait, you are waiting because God wants to show his hand as mighty. And so we have to in patience and in faith in order to get the promises of God to wait on him, being willing to wait. So if you go into all of Scripture, not just the Old Testament, but all of Scripture, and you look at what biblical faith looks like, kind of narrowed it down to four main points of what biblical faith is. Number one is this, you are willing to wait. None of us really like to wait, right? I mean, I could probably ra say, raise your hand, let's get a testimony. You know how I know that none of us like to wait? And I've been on both sides of this, okay? So I'm not trying to act a certain way or anything. But when you're sitting in a traffic light, and you happen to be the first car in line, and the light turns green, and you don't immediately go, what's the person behind you do? They get out, and they come up, and they hand you a $20 bill and say, thank you. Thank you. Go to McDonald's. Have a, have a cheeseburger. 
No, they blow the horn to let you know that, hey, that light's been green for two seconds. So get moving. We are, we are not awaiting people, especially when it comes to God and we think we know the answer. Okay, I know the answer. I know what it needs to be. And uh, I, I, I know what God's going to do, or I sometimes even more dangerously know what I want God to do. We want it then. We want to see God move. Now, waiting on the Lord is difficult. It's challenging. But it's biblical faith that allows us to do that. Number two, you are concerned only for the glory of God. Biblical faith says you are concerned only for the glory of God. And that can be a challenge on what we're doing because we know what we want, we know why we want it, we know when we want it. But sometimes it calls us out when we have to say, does that bring glory to God? Does that happening bring glory to God? We're going to see this unfold in the text in a few minutes. Number three, you are obeying God's word. You're sticking to God's word. You're making choices based on what God's word says. You're walking in truth not philosophy, not ideas, not thoughts, but you're walking in truth. You're, you're obeying God's word. Number four, you have God's joy and peace within. Now, we can, that can fool us sometimes. Sometimes we think because we've got the answer, we, we have peace, but sometimes we don't have peace because the answer's not there yet. So it's the peace that passes understanding and the joy that only Christ himself can give. It's what you're looking for as you're walking in biblical faith with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Abraham and Sarah were waiting, and God was increasing their faith and their patience and building their character. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So I'm going to give an overarching statement something for us to contemplate on for a few moments of what this text is showing us and telling us. It's this. Attempting to accomplish God's plans by means of socially accepted practices of the day produces complications. I'm going to let that resonate with you for a moment so that the Spirit of God can meet you where you are because it did for me. It met me where I was and what I was going through and what I was facing. Attempting to accomplish God's plans by means of socially accepted practices of the day produces complications. And just because everyone else in the world says it's okay, we have to ask ourselves, does God say it's okay? I've seen many a people get themselves in trouble with the argument, well, kind of like it's just the thing you do today. I'm like, that's great if everybody else is doing it and it's working for them. But does Scripture point us in that direction? Does Scripture point you in that direction? What are you hearing from the other faith people that are following God and seeking God's hand about that particular situation? What are you hearing from them? Are they encouraging you to keep, continue to walk, even whether it's socially accepted or not, in the way of God? Or are they encouraging you to say, eh, it just needs to be this other way? You have to lean into God's word. How does this relate to the text? I'll show you. They were waiting well, 
but because of the problem that Sarai or Sarah had, she wanted a fix. You see this in this. Chapter 16, verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Number one, Sarah was not willing to wait. She said, Behold now. It was another short-sightedness of behold. Behold my situation now, not looking at it from the way God was looking at it, but looking at it the way we see it now, not understanding the big picture, but seeing the what I see right now and what I want right now. That's what Sarah was doing. Behold now, a short-sighted behold. It was not viewing it from God's point of view. So she was not willing to wait. Number two, Sarai was not concerned for the glory of God. Where do we see that? In verse 2, that I shall obtain children. She was now concerned about her own thought process, her own heart, what she wanted, what she needed. She's thinking probably, I'm going to be made fun of. I've never been able to bring a child into this earth and, and, and we know that children actually says blessing from God and, and, and I'm not able to do that. And so I need, I need, I need, and it brought her into not being concerned with the glory of God. Number three, Abram failed to obey God's word. It says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to the wrong voice. He had already had a covenant given to him from God, and he was no longer listening to the voice of God at that moment. He was listening to the voice of Sarah. And then number four, they both lost God's joy and peace. We see that in verse five. It says, may the wrong done to me be on you. It created arguments. It created hard feelings. It created a, a, a broken relationship with one another. They were not experiencing the peace and the joy that God gives in their relationship because they had not demonstrated biblical faith. Now, I need to pause for just a moment and talk about something. We, this is not the aha moment or fun part that we're going to get to in a few moments, but I need to pull this out because it's there, right? We need to talk about something that's a little bit awkward, but I want you to hear me all the way through before you tune me out, okay? There is a close relation in Abram listening to the voice of Sarah as there is in Adam listening to the voice of Eve. Listen, in, in 16, second part of Verse 2, it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, but in Genesis 3, chapter 17, I mean, chapter 3, verse 17, it says, and to Adam, he said, this is God speaking, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Listening to the wrong voice gets us in trouble. But let me speak into this just a moment because it is a scriptural truth that I think maybe God wants some to hear today. This week, March 13th, Psychology Today released an article that actually mirrored a lot of what we heard at our marriage seminar we held here in February by the Feldhands. 
And one of the things that they pulled out was uh, it was the successful, highly, happily marriages and the practices and the things that those marriages have in place. One of the things they pulled out was the, the overarching feeling that most men have of uh, inadequacy, not quite good enough, always walking with a feeling of inadequacy. And so they're speaking into that, and this is what the article says, appreciation. Men really do want to be respected and appreciated. For many, this may mean that they need a lot of positive thank yous. Their wives should be aware that praise and gratitude works wonders emotionally and physically. As long as it is truthful, the spoken word is powerful. Men want partners to tell them what they want. You guys have heard the two rules of marriage, right? Rule number one, your wife is right. Rule number two, refer to rule number one. Okay? But all joking aside, and the ladies are like, wait, you were joking? All joking aside, the truth that I pull out of that, because of the original sin and because there's enmity between us in our relationship with one another, and because the man feels inadequate and he wants to, he wants to please the wife, and this is in happy marriages, okay, that he wants to please the wife, women need to be careful what you request of your husbands. Ladies, be careful that everything you ask of your husband and you request of him, it is God-honoring and biblical. I want you to know, just for me, if, say for instance, and I'm going to kind of make up an analogy, um, if my wife wants a certain wall in the house painted blue, I'm not going to like drop everything at that moment and say, oh, oh, she just texted me, she wants the hallway blue. See you guys. Uh, it's not that, but I want you to know that it's going to sit right here in my mind until when that wall is blue because I want to please her. It is something that's going to drive me to eventually get it done. You say, well, I wish my husband was that way. That he's, he's thinking on it. Just because he hasn't actually done what you've requested of him yet doesn't mean it's not on his radar. It just means some things haven't fallen into place for it to happen. My point is this. Ladies, be careful what you request of your husbands because if it's ungodly, you could lead them down a wrong path. Now, I want you to to understand, I, I don't want all the men say, get them, preacher. <laughs> this is not a one-sided conversation. There's another side of this coin. There's another side of this story. You should always, men, listen to your wives all the way up to the point to where the request or the thing that they say is not God-honoring or is unbiblical. And at that moment, you must say, sorry, babe, no. It's a two-sided coin on this. Abram had actually, through a deep sleep, had a covenant made with him that he was going to have descendants. He had a covenant made with him that he was going to get land. He knew what God's word was. What confused him was in the waiting, I don't quite see it, I don't get it, God. I know you've promised this, but I don't quite get it. And then his wife and his impatience decided to scheme. Anytime you have to scheme to move God's 
path somewhere, you're not moving God's path. No believer walking with Christ needs to ever scheme, ever. If you're scheming, stop it. Let God move on your behalf. Let him be the one that does things for you. So the first part of this account of what we've just read in the first few verses here tells us about biblical faith. Wait patiently, stay concerned only for the glory of God, obey God's word, and seek God's joy and peace within. That's where we should find ourselves. But then we go into act two of this particular narrative and we see something different. That can be confusing until you see what's truly going on here. So I'm going to give an overarching statement for the second part. It's this. God requires patient hope and sincere prayer for the realization of his promises. Break that down. God requires patient hope, sincere prayer for the realization of his promises. Let's look at this as we break it down a little bit, starting at verse 6 in chapter 16. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I find it interesting, and in verse 3, Sarai gave Hagar to Abram as a wife. It's there. It says she gave him as a wife, but now because things didn't work like quite like she had glamorized it would be, she's backing up on that, and Abram's saying, it's your servant, do with, you, do with her as you please, and she starts treating her harshly. Then verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. It's interesting there that the angel of the Lord didn't recognize the marriage either. He didn't say return to your husband. He said return to your mistress and serve her like you're supposed to. He doesn't leave it there. He goes on. But he didn't recognize it as a marriage. He also didn't look at her and say, you know what, you're right. I actually, I actually have planned uh, for another person to kind of be in the line, and uh, Ishmael's not going to be the one, so why don't you run on along to Egypt? Why don't you just go on down there, and I'll figure out somebody to take care of you there? You know why? Because... His ways are not our ways, and our ways are not his ways, and he has a plan for everything that happens. He is the master of taking our mess-ups and turning them into his plans to further his call. And that's what's going on here when he says, go back to your mistress. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. She just got new information. She knew she was pregnant, but this was the gender reveal. 
You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. If you read on, which we will, in the book of Genesis and then later in Samuel, some in Judges, you see that the Ishmaelites, which was the line of Ishmael, the Ishmaelites actually came against the people of Israel when Israel was not following God. See, part of the plan was, was he says, I'm, I'm going to give you a son. His name's going to be Ishmael. He's going to have many descendants. He didn't go on to say, I'm going to use them for my plan. But that's what was happening. I'm going to give you much descendants. But then it goes on to say, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. There are a lot of people who will say that the turmoil that is going on in the Middle East today comes from this particular text. Let me just encourage you to really do your homework on that and follow the lineage on, out on that. I see where people are coming from when they say that, but it's not 100% supported in Scripture. What we need to be aware of is when he says that to him, what is he saying to him, what's it going to mean, and how does it play out later in Scripture? And it does play out later in Scripture. God does use the Ishmaelites for his bidding later. So it is part of his plan. But what is truly meant by he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, he was saying, Hagar, servant to Sarah, your son will be a servant to no one. That's what he's saying. Your son's not going to serve anyone. And no one will be able to break him to make him serve anyone. Now to a servant woman who's looking for hope and looking for peace and looking for an outcome that is more positive, to hear that her son is not going to be born into servitude, that the son's going to actually be free to do what he so chooses, is got to be encouraging. It's got to be an uplifting part of this. But from the human heart, it didn't totally make sense to me. Even then, everything that I've just told you in clarification for why would God do this? Well, why, why would it? it didn't make sense to me, that encounter. Why, why the encounter? Why, why the conversation with the angel of the Lord? And it didn't make sense to me until I did homework on the angel of the Lord. This is where it gets fun. This is where it gets really fun to me. Connecting dots of scripture and learning what's going on here. When you do a study on the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, 90% of the time it's the same verbiage and the same things are happening. Now, occasionally they, it says an angel of the Lord. It sounds like the same terminology, but it's talking about someone different. I want you to see this. There's several things that you pick up on. Number one, the angel of the Lord speaks as God. The angel of the Lord speaks as God. Number two, he is identified by the people who are speaking to him as God. Number three, he accepts worship. Who's the only one in the spiritual world who should accept worship? God. This is where it gets really cool. Let's jump into the New Testament for a few moments and pull out some scripture text and start building a foundation so that we can better understand the angel of the Lord. This is John 8, the leaders of the time 
were encountering Jesus and challenging him, and they were asking him some questions. This is where it starts in John 8, verse 53. It says, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you. Ouch. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. But it gets better. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. But it gets better. I love it. Judges chapter 13 going back into the Old Testament now, where the same verbiage of the angel of the Lord appears to someone. This is Samson's uh, dad now who doesn't have children, and this is the encounter he has with the angel of the Lord. Let's look what happens here. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man in Zoar of the tribe of the Denites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Then you drop down to verse 15. It says, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering... Then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah, catch this, did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Verse 17, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on a rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that... He was the angel of the Lord. Listen to what he says next. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. So what does that mean? It's called the preeminent appearing of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you hear and see what's happening here? 
is that Jesus is the one that showed up on the scene when Hagar was by the spring in the wilderness, not knowing what to do with the mess that she was in in her life. And Jesus himself showed up. God didn't send a messenger to go say, hey, go take care of things. God himself showed up. Look, it says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Could you see Hagar walking back into Abram's camp and saying, I'm back, and I met a man that told me everything that I ever done? You know what this does for me? It parallels with the woman at the well. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. John 4, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Why, do, why is this so fun to me? It's because when I think about the woman at the well, and I think about the enca- encounter of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, I think Jesus is, is, is leaning up against the well, and he's standing there, and the woman walks up, and he says, give me something to drink. And she goes, who are you to speak to me to give you something to drink? And Jesus, in his mind, now this is a Danielism, I'm just going to tell you that, it's a Danielism, this is where my brain goes. Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, I've done this before. That's exciting to me. Because it wasn't new for Jesus at the woman at the well. He was meeting a woman in the time of hurt and pain and lostness and not knowing what was going on. Jesus was showing up on the scene and he was speaking and he was saying, let me offer you redemption. Not just the woman at the well, but the woman at the spring of water in the wilderness. My challenge is this, that we at times in heartache and pain and not knowing where we're going in our lives don't understand the fact that Jesus has already met us in the wilderness. He has already showed up beside the water of what we're struggling in. And he has said, I am here to give you hope and peace. And he walked on earth and he stretched his hands out and he gave his life for the penalty of sin that you and I deserve. And he's given us a promise and a hope to be forgiven and to have a right relationship with God the Father. Evidences of true biblical faith. Are we willing to wait on God? Are we concerned only for the glory of God and nothing else? Are we obeying God's word to what it says? And do we have God's joy and peace within our hearts in the midst of of doing that. What what is it saying? It's saying that when we are at rock bottom, Jesus himself shows up. In fact, when we're at rock bottom, what does we as believers know about the rock? It is Jesus himself. 
So if you find yourself in a tough time, in a difficult situation, demonstrate biblical faith by waiting on God. Do not scheme on his behalf, but in sincere prayer, in sincere seeking of him, look for him to show up in your life and to offer hope and peace. You see, Jesus is the one that deserves our praise. He is the one that deserves our allegiance. He is the one that deserves our hearts, our desires, our testimony. Everything about him should be pointing to the creator of the universe. Let's pray. Father, I love the fact and the truth that you can take what we see as ugly and turn it into purpose and beauty. love the fact that you will meet us right where we are and in your perfect love, in your perfect plan, in your perfect timing, in your perfect will, refuse to leave us where you find us. But you send us in a direction, a path, a way to go, a way to move. Jesus, you are the one who was, who is, and shall be. In the beginning was you. You are the word, and the word was with you. All of scripture points to you, and may all of our lives seek to point to you. Your sacrifice, your love, your grace, your mercy, Help us to show a world you and you only. So lead us now. Speak to our hearts. Minister to us. For those in the room who are hurting and wondering if they're ever going to hear a call from you, speak to them. Meet them in the wilderness where they are. And give peace and comfort and hope to know that you're not going to leave them there. Father, for those who are still examining, exploring if, if you're real, if, if what your son said he did is real, speak to their hearts through the gentleness of your spirit today. Remove the veil of untruth from their eyes and allow them to see truth for what truth is so that they may walk with you in truth and spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.